0: Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David.
1: Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, it's been a little bit since I've answered some of the questions you've sent me, so I wanted to come around and do another question and answer segment where I look at some of the questions I've been sent. And remember, you can keep those questions coming to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. I'm always happy to be sort of a Disney dad and try and answer some of the questions you may have, be able to help you out a little bit with your trip planning, and uh, maybe answer a few questions about Disney World in general. We start off with a question from Marcy. She asks, we're going to Typhoon Lagoon for a day. I was wondering if my son can wear his swimmies. Will he be able to go on any slides besides the little ones? And what's the height requirement for Crush and Gusher? Any other slides that have height requirements that I should know about? Hey, great question. I really enjoyed myself at uh, Typhoon Lagoon, but truth be told, I think Blizzard Beach, for me, was a better park. But hey, it's all good. They're both a lot of fun. So let me answer your questions about uh, swimmies. Swimmies themselves are not allowed in the park. They tell you specifically that you cannot wear swimmies. But they do have life jackets available for free that you can put on the little ones. Uh, you just go to any of the stations where they have the life jackets. You can just pick one out, put it on your little one, and they can wear that throughout the day. The life jackets are a great way to make sure that they're safe in the water. And they really are fairly comfortable. The kids don't mind wearing them. You see them all over the parks. They have a variety of sizes. You can find them right by the entrance. Uh, and uh, I, think they, I think they're really nice. Now, in answer to the question about the other slides, there's a couple of factors to consider. One is the degree of the slide itself, your son's appetite for them, and how well you feel about letting him go down it. Because in some cases, you want to go down kind of with him, so you may send him down first and go right after him or go right in front of him or whatever. And it depends on whether you have anyone else with you. If you have another adult with you, it's easy for them to go down first, let the little one go, and then you go. So it really kind of depends. I mean, I took my daughter, she's, she was four at the time, took her up to uh, a couple of the different slides and just let her slide down herself and really didn't have a problem with it because she was wearing the life vest and was able to get down there pretty easily. It really depended on the person. Uh, I saw other parents who were letting their kids do the same thing. There are a few slides that have somewhat of a height requirement. You can always find that out as you, as you kind of come up to it. I think most of them don't. Uh, just some of the bigger ones do. So you can send her on, send him on, just about anything you want. As for other things to do, there's a really fun size, uh, fun mid-size slide that my kids loved at the end of one of the big pools. It's not a very big slide, but it's a, lo- it's just that that perfect size for kids. And you kind of come down it, and they just have a lot of fun with it. And there's the wave machine happening in the in the main pool, and it's kind of off to the side, so the waves are always kind of crashing around there too. And the slide itself is not that big, but it feels like a really big slide. So depending on your son's age, he may really like that. I think we've probably spent a couple of hours at that one myself. The uh, height requirement for Crush and Gusher is 48 inches or four feet. Um, Team Boat Springs is a fun alternative for the whole family because everyone can go on Teamboat Springs. It's still up at the top where Crush, Crush and Gusher is, and you can take the, the, uh, the raft down, and the whole family can be inside that, and there's no age requirement on that, and you're with your child the whole time. So... There's a great way to go down, and that's a lot of fun. And have a great time at the uh, water parks. They are a lot of fun. Terry asks, Our family is on vacation this June, and it'll be our first trip to Disney and includes a 615 Advanced Dining Reservation for the Hoop-dee-doo musical review. Now, not having been there before, would we have enough time to get to Hollywood Studios for Fantasmic after the review is done? And if so, what's the quickest and easiest way to get from Fort Wilderness to Hollywood Studios? Thanks for your help. I'm super excited about this trip. All right, let's go back and think about where these things are. So the Hoopty Doom Musical Review is taking place over at the Fort Wilderness. And Fort Wilderness, for those of you who are not in the know, is a separate part of the park. It's kind of, if you, if you drive there, you come in kind of from the main entrance, and you head out uh, away from, like, where you would go toward the Magic Kingdom. It's sort of in the other direction if you come from the Magic Kingdom's main entrance. Uh, the other way to get there is from the uh, boat launch at the Contemporary Hotel, and it kind of goes over that way. So it's not exactly close to where the Hollywood studios are. And that's where it is physically. Now, the Hoop-dee-doo musical review lasts about one and three-quarter to two hours, depending on the show itself. So let's say, let's take the upper limit and say it's two hours, and that would make it 8.15 by the show is done. And then you need to get out and get to the studios. Now, Phantasmic starts at nine uh, at that time of year. So, that would leave you 45 minutes to get from the Fort Wilderness Campgrounds to the Hollywood Studios and get seated. Given the fact that they tell you you should be there an hour and a half before the show starts, at a minimum, for Fantasmic, I would say it's going to be next to impossible to do. Now, let me couch that just a little bit. The reason I say that it's impossible is because it seems extremely unlikely that you'd be able to time it just right. Um the way I would do it if I were gonna get there is I would take the boat from the Fort Wilderness dock over to the Contemporary, then walk through the hotel and outside of the bus area and take a bus to the studios. Now if you caught everything just right, maybe. And you'd still have to walk into Phantasmic and you'd probably be getting there just as the show started. The other alternative of course is to drive, but the problem with that is you stop you have the Fort Wilderness campground, the parking area is at one end of the campground, at the entrance area. And the hoop Do musical review is out by the dock on the farthest end. So you would have to still get from one end of the uh, Fort Wilderness to the other. And the only way to do that efficiently is by bus. So you have to wait for the bus to cycle around and get you back to the entrance. So again, probably impossible. So I don't think there's an easy way to do this. I don't think it's going to be physically possible to do it. But I would be curious if you do manage to do it or try it. I'd be curious to see how you came out in this. Uh, you know, I think... One of the things about going to see these different shows and events is you want to try to be practical about them. It's hard to pack everything in unless you know the exact timing of how you want to get there. And because these things are in different locations, it's really hard to get to both. But I do wish you luck, and I hope you get to see Fantasmic on a different night because it is a lot of fun. Now, one thing I wanted to add. Every once in a while on TV, you'll see one of these shows, whether it's a a cooking show or whether it's an interstitial thing that they show on, like, the Disney Channel, where they're talking about going from this place to that place to another place, and they do it quickly, and the people are all wearing the same clothes, and it looks like it's the same day. That's a near impossibility to pull that off when the sun is still in the same position like that, unless you've got a van or something that's taking you directly there, and they go for the shoot, and then they go on to the next place. And a lot of times, these shows and things, they go off and they do this in a, in a way that they edit it up so that it looks like it's the same day or it looks like it's a very short amount of time when in fact they're actually taking a long time to get there. I remember distinctly watching, I think it was, it was a cooking show actually, and I thought it was Robert Irvine who was doing a, uh, a Dinner Impossible, and he had to go to all four theme parks and collect clues and then go back, and he only had eight hours to do the entire thing of collecting the clues and then going and uh, doing the cooking. I'm telling you, the way they had him going through the park and the things they had him doing, uh, it would have taken at least four hours to do all of the things that he was supposed to do before he would have ever made it back to start cooking. So it just seemed kind of ridiculous, but I get what they were trying to do, and Disney does present it that way. It just doesn't usually work out that way. So anyway, have a great trip and enjoy your first trip to Disney World. Our next question comes from Blake, and he says, Hello, we were in Disney in February and normally go every year or two. We had one day left on our no-expire tickets from the past, so we used that and bought the military tickets as my brothers in the service, and we could get my wife and I a ticket. I don't see anywhere on the Disney site that they're selling the no-expiration passes anymore, and I don't see them at the gates anymore either. I do see that Undercover Tourist is still selling them. Um, so I have a couple of questions. I've never purchased from the Undercover Tourist site before, but I'm wondering a few things and wonder if you can help. Since we go every year or two, should we consider buying these 10-day no-expire tickets from the site? Are these the same tickets that you would buy from the gate, or am I going to have issues if I don't use them for four years? The rates my brother got us with the military tickets were a nice deal. Have they always done this, and maybe we should skip the no-expire and do that each time since he comes with us every time we go. And uh, just wondering if you could give any suggestions. Great questions, and let me start off with first saying the Undercover Tourist site is a legitimate Disney ticket service site. They do resell Disney tickets. The way it works is that they are a, a packaged site, and they can sell Disney tickets. They get a small discount on them, and they are able to, to pass that savings on to you. Now, it is a small discount over the gate prices, and I do also want to recommend destinations in Florida if you have uh, want to buy Disney tickets that way as well. They're also a Disney authorized travel agent, and you can get your tickets that way. But if you do decide to go to the Undercover Tourist uh, website, what you'll find is that they do have a variety of tickets that you won't find available necessarily on the Disney website or uh, at the gates. And the reason is they get a different mix of tickets in some cases. The no expiration option is no longer available. Disney has decided to do away with that, and you have to use the tickets within typically 14 days of their first use. So that means that if you bought a ticket now and held on to it, bought a four-day pass, let's say, held on to it and never used it, it still would be valid, and the first day would be the day that you use it, and it would expire 14 days from that date. Now, the Undercover Tour site and some of the other sites that you'll find do still have some no-expiration tickets that they do have available, and you can still use them at your leisure. And so if you bought a 10-day ticket, you could use a day today, a couple of days next year, a couple of days a year after that. Now, technically speaking, the tickets always retain their value. So if Disney decided to change their ticketing options completely, so next year they came back and they announced that they were going to change their ticketing options and it was going to only, they were only going to sell a length of stay pass, what they would do is they'd say, okay, your ticket is no longer valid in that case, but we'll give you fair market value for what you paid for it. So if you, used, if you bought a 10-day ticket and let's say it was $100, so it was $10 per day and you only used two days, They'd give you back $80 on it toward the new ticket. So they always give you a market value on it. That's the way it works. So you, you never lose them. Um, I've never heard of anybody who uses an authorized Disney travel agent or ticket reseller, authorized being the keyword. Uh, having an issue buying a ticket and using it at the gate. Uh, typically, you walk right up to the gate, and, and then there's no problem at all. You walk right through as though you bought them from the, uh, from the ticket agent uh, there at the gate, the ticket window, or if you bought them online from the uh, Walt Disney World website. But keep that in mind. The word authorized is really critical. So if you go to an authorized Disney travel agent, such as destinations in Florida, you can be guaranteed that your tickets will be valid. So kind of keep that in mind as you think about that. To answer your, uh, your last question about the military rates, yes, they are typically better than the rates that you'll get at the uh, going to the gates or buying them from any of the uh, online websites. And that's because Disney salutes the military and uh, likes to give back to our heroes who support us. So um, you first of all, thank you for, to your brother for serving. And second, um, I think maybe if you were just going for like one day at a time, that might be a better option. It's a more reasonable option and you get a better value on it. That's a, certainly an option you may want to keep in your hip pocket. Um, now, the other thing to keep in mind is Disney ticket prices do keep going up every year. There's always a inc- price increase every year. So In order to kind of counteract that, what some people would do was buy the 10-day passes one year and then just go ahead and use a couple of days every year. And that staved off the increase in ticket price for the next however many years you're going to use them. So if you're going to use two days for five years, for five years you don't see a ticket increase. But you do have to come up with the cash up front to be able to buy the ticket. So kind of keep that in mind. You have to kind of weigh it yourself and make a decision. But I would say you know, maybe the military tickets, if you're only going really for one day, might be a better option for you. Kathy writes... We're planning to book a trip for the first weekend in October for four adults and and a five-year-old. Two of the adults and the five-year-old have never been to Disney before, and we're planning to stay at the Art of Animation, but can't decide which would be better, the Magic Your Way tickets or the Florida resident tickets. Because everyone in our party is a Florida resident. Wow, haven't been there before and you're a Florida resident? Oh my God, say it isn't so. Uh, But anyway, we're wanting to uh, do the dining option as well, so I need a little help, and I'm open to recommendations. Uh, What do you think? So... The thing about the uh, Florida resident tickets, unless you're getting one of the Florida resident specials and they do offer them periodically, typically it's in the spring, uh, the ticket price is the same, generally speaking, for Florida residents and non-Florida residents uh, within a small tolerance. So your Florida residents tickets are, might be a little bit better value, but if you buy the Magic Your Way package, you might actually wind up with a little bit better value between the hotel and the uh, Magic Your Way using the Florida resident uh, discount codes, because a lot of times there is a Florida resident discount. Now, there may be free dining in October. I've heard rumors of that coming up, so you may want to just keep it open just a little bit longer, keep that option open a little bit longer, because if free dining is available, free dining plus the Magic Your Way plus the Art of Animation Resort, you will definitely get a better value for that than you would if you bought all three of those things a la carte. Now, it might be a little bit more expensive than, say, if you got a Florida resident rate on the Art of Animation uh, Hotel, and also bought uh, some Florida residents' tickets to get there. So you're going to want to weigh that, but I would suspect that the three together as a package might be a better deal for you uh, when you go in there. Now, the thing about the dining reservations is they can be made 180 days in advance. So it's a great opportunity for you to go ahead and start booking your dining reservations, whether or not you've made your reservations for the hotel yet. You can, If you do it online, it's really easy to merge the two because you're logging in as you and through your account, and you can merge the two once you get there. Uh, If you're calling, just make sure you you note all of your uh, dining reservations' advance numbers and keep those on a a pad of paper or something. And when you call back to make your uh, hotel reservations, you can certainly set the whole thing up and just have them merge them together. Or alternatively, once again, a little plug for uh, destinations in Florida, if you do the whole thing through them, uh, they will help you to hook it all up and make sure that everything's set up. They'll be looking for packages and so forth that best meet your needs. So the easiest thing is just to click on the link on my website on the show notes page and go over to destinations in Florida and let Shannon or one of the other Disney vacation specialists uh, set up your vacation for you. They can look at whether there's free dining, make sure you get the best rate at the Art of Animation Hotel, and make sure that you get the dining reservations that you want. They'll help you do all of that stuff in one-stop shopping. And if you're waiting for it to see what, what's available, they can kind of keep an eye on that for you. And many times they can get you the better rate at the hotel if it happens to change between now and then. If there's some sort of Florida resident rate that comes out, they can go and add that for you on the, uh, on the, regist- uh, on the confirmation. So keep that in mind because it may make your trip a lot easier. Uh, you can do it that way and uh, just uh, take away the worry and the stress of it. And, of course, there are no obligations in talking to destinations in Florida or any of the great travel agents they have there. So please feel free to just go ahead and reach out to them at any time, and, um, and they'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Next up, we have a question from Sean who asks, uh, what are refillable mugs, and can you kind of tell me a little bit about them? Hey, Sean, that's a question that a lot of people ask, and the answer is that refillable mugs are these 16-ounce plastic tumblers and uh, insulated coffee mugs that are sold at Disney hotels for $15.49 plus tax. And throughout the length of your stay uh, at the Disney Resort Hotel, where you purchased the mug, you're entitled to unlimited free refills on select beverages from select locations. And the word select is kind of important here. Now, the thing is, the mugs themselves are considered collectibles because each one has a design that's deemed to that specific resort. And as far as what select drinks you can put in it, you can refill the mug with coffee, iced tea, or hot tea, hot chocolate, or any of the Coca-Cola products that are available at those locations. Now, as for the select locations, the purchase and refill stations are located in food courts, quick service locations, and pool bars at all of the value, moderate, and deluxe resorts. You can also get refills at Beaches and Cream at the Beach Club and the Boardwalk Bakery at the Coffee Cart at the Boardwalk. Now a couple of things that I wanted to point out. The refillable mugs are one per person, so each person in your party should have their own mug. And something else I'll note, the Disney Dining Plan now includes a refillable mug with, for each person that's on the dining plan. Now, a couple of other things that you may want to know, that you can only use your mug at the resort you're staying at. That's why they're themed to each of the resorts. If you go into another resort and you have your refillable mug, you can't use it at that resort. And also, something else, there is a mug wash station at uh, each of the uh, locations where you can refill the mug. So that way you can rinse your mug out, clean it out a little bit, so that way you can wash it out when you're changing between different uh, drinks that you want to have. One other thing to consider, since these m- refillable mugs are in the food court area, If you happen to be at a location that's really far away from the food court because of the the way the hotel worked out for you and where they placed you, you may not find this to be as convenient as you might like, and it may be a problem and you may not want to take advantage of it. So consider that and consider the location that they put you at when you're thinking about whether to get a refillable mug or not. And I hope that helped you to understand just a little bit about refillable mugs and what they are. And finally, I have a question from Megan, who writes, We're going to Disney World this summer. We're a larger party of nine, and uh, we're wondering if we should make multiple advanced dining reservations, if the locations have a table that's big enough to accommodate all of us, and if it's possible to push two tables together at some of these dining establishments so that we can eat all as a group. She goes on to list a couple of very specific restaurants that she was asking about. And let me try and answer the broader question first. Disney has a policy about making advanced dining reservations. You can put as many people on the reservation as you want. So nine people is not a problem. You can call once and make a dining reservation to be able to accommodate that number of people. The challenge is if the restaurant is able to accommodate that number of people at a single table or if they're able to push the tables together. The general nature of the advanced dining reservations is they will do their best to accommodate you at a single table or have two tables next to each other at the same time. Uh, But there are no guarantees. It's possible that some of you may be seated a little bit differently or may be seated in different parts of the restaurant. Uh, So what you need to do is you need to talk to the dining uh, person you're talking with and ask if there is a table that's big enough to accommodate the number of people you've got at that particular dining establishment. Now, I know that most of the uh, dining establishments that are in the parks do not have a table that's big enough for nine. Um, Sometimes it's big enough for eight. Uh, and sometimes the uh, dining establishments do have the ability to seat nine, especially some of the uh, restaurants on the outside, such as Planet Hollywood and so forth. They do have tables that are big enough, but they're not always available. They turn, they turn over differently. And at some of the restaurants, they will uh, go ahead and push the tables together to make it easier. But you have to kind of use your best judgment on this. So what I usually do is I'll kind of go into it with a plan. I've traveled with large groups before, and I'll go in with a plan and we'll say, okay, Four of us are going to sit here. Five of us are going to sit here. And that way we've already got it kind of set. And if they happen to get the tables pushed together, then that's great. And if not, then at least we have groups that we're sitting with and we can kind of enjoy our dining experience. And sometimes, you know, if, if like I'm paying for the whole thing, I'll go ahead and say, all right, I'm paying for this table and that table. Just put it all in one check and it makes it easier. If you're using your um, dining coupons, you can certainly go ahead and turn those in for both tables and that's fine. That works out really well too. So just kind of plan it up that way. Now, as for specific types of restaurants, the thing about a lot of them is, you know, like you asked about the, uh, uh, the sci-fi dine-in theater, and a lot of the cars do have three rows of seats, but the, the seats really fit two each, so it's really like a 246, not a 369, so you'll probably have to get two cars unless some of the people are really small, in which case you might be able to accommodate it. So you kind of have to think about that, you know. It, it just some of the way the uh, the tables work out, it doesn't quite work that you can have that many people sitting at a at a table like that. So you, um, as you go into it, just uh, talk to the uh, talk to the dining people you've got, and uh, make sure that you understand that the there is the prospect that you may have to sit at different tables away from each other, or kind of have to separate up a little bit in terms of your dining time. Remember that the way restaurants turn over tables is all about how long someone takes to eat and when they when they actually get up to leave. In some cases, people linger, and that means that that table is not available. And in some cases, they can stage it up so that they can turn the tables over quickly and have you know hold on to one table that's close to another table to be able to get it ready and then have two people come together. You know sometimes that works out really well. And if that works out, they can push some t- tables together, or you get the tables right next to each other, and that, that's fantastic. But it just doesn't always work that way. It really depends on when the tables turn over and when things happen. And sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. And that's the problem with a larger party that sometimes it doesn't work out that way and you just kind of have to plan around it a little bit. And that's why I recommend going ahead and figuring out how you might group yourselves at different meals you know if it's a nice meal maybe you want the adults sitting together and the kids sitting at another table depending on the ages of the kids of course maybe you want to group it up by families maybe you want to have one parent from different families at different tables so that way you can kind of mix and match a little bit but you just plan it up a little bit so you kind of have a five and a four in mind so that way you at least can uh, can be thinking about it before you get to the restaurant and don't have to worry about it when you get there and that's the thing. And you know, this is all about having fun. You want to have a good time and you just want to talk to the, uh, the reservation agents. And when you get to the podium to check in, talk to them again too, to make sure that they can accommodate you and you, they know that you're a table of, you know, you're a party of nine and you're willing to do X, whatever that might be. So kind of keep that in mind as you talk to them. And you know, just relax about it. You don't have to have multiple dining reservations. It's easier just to do one and just be polite and nice and you'll get a lot further with that. And I hope you have a great trip. Well, that's going to do it for me for this week. I, I've got more questions that I'll answer at another time. I will send you an email back if you do send me an, an email and ask me a question. It's davesdisneyview at gmail.com, even if your question doesn't make it on the air. And before I go, I'd like to remind you about the Tower of Terror 10-mile run that's going on later this year at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios to support Autism Speaks. You can find more. You can find a link to it on my show notes page at disneyworldpodcast.net, And just click on the link to go to the Tower of Terror 10-mile run, and uh, you can get more information and sign up. If you're not able to go to that or not interested in the 10-mile run, uh, please do feel free to go ahead and sponsor someone else or just uh, give another donation to Autism Speaks. That's the whole point here is to uh, give back to Autism Speaks. And that's going to do it for me for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Show notes
0: can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at reverbnation.com slash A. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 138.